Make his praise glorious. Well, you sounded glorious. But we're talking about things today that are really glorious. We're going to finish our series this morning that we started. Stories that change the world. The parables of Jesus. Boy, as we've studied these parables, I hope they've had just half the impact on you that they've had on me. They've really spoken to me. God has used them to, to, to lead me to a new place in my relationship with Him. Today, we're going to look at the parable of the wedding banquet. And that parable is located in the book of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, chapter 22. And we're going to be beginning reading in verse 1. I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew 22, verse 1. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle have been butchered. Everything's ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murders and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. This parable is actually the last public parable of Jesus before his crucifixion. He's going to share two more parables. But those parables he shares just with his disciples. Those are two of the parables that we've already discussed in in the series. The parable of the ten virgins and the parable of the ten talents. Jesus speaks this parable specifically about the nation of Israel and specifically to the religious leaders who Jesus is speaking to in the temple in Jerusalem. This is Jesus' last appearance at the temple before he's crucified. Remember, we talked about a couple weeks. He leaves the temple. His disciples are in awe of all the buildings. Then he begins to unveil the two other parables we talked about. But Jesus is speaking specifically to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders of Israel. And in this particular parable, we see a summary of everything we've learned from the other parables. Jesus says in Matthew 22, verses 1 through 3, he said, Here's what the kingdom of heaven is like. Here's how this is all going to come about. He says, first of all, I sent servants to invite people to the banquet, but they refused to come. Specifically, he's speaking to the Pharisees and he's speaking about Israel. He said, I've sent you prophet after prophet. I've sent you people with messages and you have refused to listen. But he goes on to say, so he sent more messengers. See, we see God's generosity. That even though Israel had time and time again refused to hear his message, he never gave up on them. He kept sending servants to them. But they wouldn't listen. Some went off to their fields and others went off to business. That's 
the parable of the sower, remember? Of what kind of fertile ground that the gospel falls on. We have to have open hearts, and they did not. Others, he said, actually seized the servants that God had sent and mistreated them and murdered them. And we know historically that's exactly what Israel did to many of their prophets. Now Jesus unfolds to the Pharisees that everything's about to change. He says, those who I invited to come don't deserve to come. And so now I'm changing everything, and now I'm sending my servants to everybody. Not just the nation of Israel. They're no longer the elite. They're no longer my, just my chosen people. I'm going to have my grace spread upon everyone. And that's the day that we live in. Because every man, whether they're good or bad, whether they're rich or poor, today can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and trust Jesus for the forgiveness of his or her sins. But we also noticed in many of these parables, and we notice again in this parable, that Jesus and God are not chumps. Although he's generous beyond description, although God does not treat us as our sins deserve, there is also a limit to how far we can push God. This man comes into the wedding and he doesn't have the proper clothes. This ties right in with the parable that he's about to teach his disciples about the five virgins, five who do not have oil for their lamps. Again, we're talking about saving faith. This man does not have saving faith. So the king comes in and says, why are you here? And the same result happens to him as those who are unprepared, who do not have saving faith. They were cast out into outer darkness. And again, Jesus is speaking of eternal separation from God. And Jesus says to these Pharisees, for many are invited, but few are chosen. These parables that we've been studying over the last several weeks have been challenging. This hasn't been cotton candy. This has been vinegar. I mean, they have pushed our limits of comfort, haven't they? They have called us to a higher level of accountability. They have caused us to evaluate our lives, evaluate our preparation to meet God. And I know a lot of us have kind of fixated on those principles, and many have even felt guilty. Everyone has felt challenged if you've really listened. But the parables are not designed, and they were not offered to produce guilt. They weren't designed, and they weren't offered to make you feel ashamed. And so we don't want to today focus on some of the things that, that the feelings that we've had, and some of these parables have evoked in us. Instead, these parables are designed to define for us and to show us opportunities that God has for us. And that's what we want to look at today. Look what he says in, in this parable, Matthew 22, 4. Come to the wedding banquet. That's our invitation. He said, come on to the wedding banquet. In the parable of the uh, ten talents, he says, come and share your master's happiness. The parables are given to us so that we can be ready for the party of all parties, because we're invited to that party. We're invited to the wedding banquet of all wedding banquets. Look what Revelation 19.9 says. Then the angel said to me, that's John. God is giving him a revelation of how everything is going to end and a snapshot of what eternity is going to look like. And he tells the angel to tell John to write. And this is what he tells John to write. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. That word blessed holds the connotation 
of happy, joyous, exuberant, euphoric, are those who have that invitation. And then he says, add this, the angel says, these are the true words of God. Listen, what we've been talking about and what we're anticipating is not some kind of religious myth. It is an actual event that is coming our way. It is going to be real. And the angel even oppressed upon John to write these words down that, listen, these are the words of God. He's been giving us everything we need to know to be ready for the return of Jesus Christ. So what's this wedding going to be all about? What's on the itinerary of this wedding banquet? That's what I want to focus on today because it's an exciting, exciting message. First, it's sustained happiness. Remember, we talked about weddings in some of these parables. And the Eastern wedding is nothing like the Western wedding of our culture and our civilizations. We have a big wedding day and everything centers around that day and everyone gets excited and go to reception and everyone goes home and falls asleep. Well, in the Eastern weddings... They went on for at least a week and sometimes two and even three weeks, depending on how noble the person was that was getting married. And that's the the image here, that this is going to be sustained joy, sustained happiness. See, we have a hard time with that, don't we? This whole idea of how we can have sustained happiness. I mean, we might say, boy, this was a really good day. I really enjoyed the day. And we might even get through a week and say, wow, this was just one of a, uh, kind of a hallmark week in my life. We might even look back at some year, 2002 or 1985 or whatever, and say, that was one of the best years of my life. But none of us can grasp this whole idea of sustained happiness forever, every day, for all eternity. <clears throat> some of us guys run a church, go on an annual golf trip to North Carolina. And it's become kind of a joke as we leave Florida to drive up to North Carolina on the way we're driving up there and we'll say to each other, oh, it's almost over. It's almost done. I mean, we haven't even got there. We haven't swung a club and now we're already lamenting that this positive time we're looking forward to is coming to an end. See, we just don't get it. We don't understand what's coming our way. But look what Psalm 1611 says. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Eternal pleasures. Sustained joy. Revelation 21.4 says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things have passed away. Listen, we are going to the party of parties. We're going to the banquet of banquets, and the joy is never going to end. It's going to be a come and go kind of experience, and we'll enjoy it for all eternity. Amen. Now, we got a party coming. we got to get ready. Now, I know, especially you ladies, when you're going to a special event, you get dolled up. Nice dress, new dress, makeup. Then you try to get us guys to look half presentable. We're going to the party of parties, a banquet of banquets. But we're going to have an ultimate makeover. God is going to make us over so that we're ready for this banquet. Look what the Bible says in 1 John 3, 2. Dear friends, we are now children of God. That's, that's how we are right here today. Those of us who have trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior, we know we're children of God because as John 1, 12 says, yet to as many as received him, to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's us. Look what it says. What we will be has not yet been made known. I mean, we, we kind of know our relationship, but what we're going to be, we don't even have an idea. But look what it says. But we know that when he appears... We shall be like Him. We're going to be like Him. We're going to have this makeover. 
Well, how, who's going to do the makeover? Christ is going to do the makeover. It says in Philippians 3.21, who, Christ, by the power that enabled him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. See, that's why there's an actual physical resurrection of the dead. That's why everyone's going to be caught up to be with the Lord in the air, and we're going to be reassembled, because we're going to need bodies, and we're going to have makeover bodies. We're not going to have fat bodies. We're not going to be too skinny. We're not going to be too tall or too short or too hairy or too bold. We're going to have glorious bodies like the body of Jesus Christ. And we need that makeover, because we're also going to have an audience with the king. I want to park here for just a little bit because this, of all the things we're going to talk about today, this is probably the one that we least get. We are going to see the king. See, here's where we're living right now. We live in 1 Timothy 6, 15 and 16. It says, God, the blessed and only ruler, the king of kings and lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in approachable light, who no one has seen or can see, to him be glory and, and, and honor and might forever. See, that's what we've been exercising today. We've been singing praise to God, but we don't see him with our eyes. We feel his presence and we sense his presence, but we don't see him. We can't physically touch him, nor can he physically touch us. That's where we live now. He's unapproachable. We've never seen him. We can't even comprehend him. But that's all going to change after our makeover, because that same verse says, for we shall see him as he really is, not as we imagine him to be, not as we've distorted him to be, not as we've misrepresented him to be, we're going to see him eyeball to eyeball. We're going to see him as he really is. Revelation 22 forces, they will see his face. And look what it says, and his name will be on their foreheads. That's you and me. Those of us who have trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior. See, we're not going to see him as some distant monarch some potentate that is unapproachable anymore, we're going to stand in front of him as his own dear children. We'll have his mark of ownership on our forehead. He'll be dad, not just the king. We'll have an audience with the king. Now, remember that verse in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 15, 16. Look what it says. Who lives in unapproachable light. Now, that's right now. We get our makeover, we're going to get to see him face to face. Now look what it says in Revelation 21, 23, about the new Jerusalem, the city of God, heaven as we understand it. It says, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its light. In other words, in this new Jerusalem, there's not going to be, need to be a sun, there's not going to need to be a moon. Because the Shekinah glory of God's literal presence will light it up. Now, I don't want to get over-sensational with you this morning. I've always had a fascination with near-death experience stories. People who have died and, and come back to life and, and had a recollection of some of that experience. And there's some very common characteristics, no matter how old or young they are, no matter what area of the, of the world they're from. It's amazing. And one of the most common characteristics talks about being in the presence of an amazing light. Robin H. 
My first visual memory was looking forward and seeing a brilliant bright light, almost like looking directly at the sun. There was standing there a figure in the light, shaped like a normal human being, but with no distinct facial features. It had a masculine presence. The light I have described seems like it emanated from that figure. Light rays shone all around him. I felt very safe and loved. Barbara E. Then it hit me. I thought to myself, oh shoot, I must be dead. Almost simultaneously with that realization, it seemed as if the light penetrated throughout me. And I felt the most magnificent warmth and peace and acceptance imaginable. I felt awe, loved and cradled. It was clear that the, lo- the light loved me so completely, knew me through and through. Now, guys, in case you're thinking that this is the imagination of hysterical women, guys have these experiences too. Leonard S., The light penetrated me fully, and I had never felt love like that before. Every cell in my body was full of love from the light, and I began to laugh and cry simultaneously. I was crying for joy as I knew I was delivered into God's light and laughed at myself for doubting I ever would. And the love kept coming. I felt that I was going to burst. One more, Ken M. It was like a hundred thousand suns. Bright, incredibly bright. I could look directly in that light. It was so very powerful and ever so bright. Words cannot really describe the magnitude of the all-consuming love experience when being in the light. And not only love, but perfection, peace, serenity, calmness, and beauty. I felt that I was safely home. I was overawed with the experience. Now, I know this is controversial. And I'm not making any final conclusions. But it sounds like the light of God to me. Because that's exactly how the Bible describes God. Not that He is loving, but that He is love. And I believe that these, these testimonies are exactly going to be our experience when we get our audience with the King, when we are exposed to that brilliant light of His Shekinah glory that encompasses love and peace and serenity and calm. It is going to be the most awesome experience that we'll ever have, and it will never end. An audience with the king. Randy Alcorn, a Christian author and pastor, says, Seeing God will be like seeing everything else for the first time. Why? Because not only will we see God, He will be the lens through which we see everything else. People, ourselves, and the events of life. Sam Storm, another Christian author and pastor, says, We will constantly be more amazed with God, more in love with God, and thus ever more relishing His presence in our relationship with Him. Our experience with God will never reach its consummation. Our experience with God will never, ever become stale. God is so awesome, so majestic, So unbelievable that when we finally get to experience Him, we'll never have enough of Him. We'll never tire of His presence. We'll always long for one more glimpse. Ah, we get an audience with the King. Do you get it? And that audience and that presence is going to be like nothing we can imagine. Just seeing God is going to usher in 
exuberant exaltation. Being in the presence of God is going to cause us to spontaneously break out into worship of Him. Not like a church service. Some people say, oh, heaven's just going to be like one eternal church service. It's going to be so boring. It's not going to be like here. It's not going to be like we come into church and, and we have a couple songs, then we have announcements and we sing a couple more songs and, and then we have a message and then we have an offering and then we all leave and go, no, it's not going to be like that. We're going to be in the presence of the king and it's going to change everything we ever thought. Look what it says in Revelation 5.13. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and forever. Every creature alive is going to praise God. Revelation 7, verse 9 through 12. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before and in front of the throne of God. See, we're going to retain, and as we're resurrected in our body with a new makeover, we're going to retain our, our individuality. And it's going to be filled with nations, and we'll still have all the Christians from all over time and nation and, and people groups there praising God together. It says they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Oh, when we finally see God, we're not going to be able to contain worship. We're not going to be able to contain exalting Him. We're going to lift our hearts and lift our souls and sing, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty. We're going to see the king. We need some bodies. Because we're going to be invited to the wedding feast of all wedding feasts. It's going to be a physical opportunity and experience. Jesus said in Matthew 8, 11, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Ah, oh, there's a feast of all feasts coming. Look what he says in Isaiah 25. The prophet Isaiah, even in the Old Testament, they were looking forward to this feast. Isaiah 25, 6. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all people, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. I love this verse. Look what it says. Prepare a feast of rich food. He's not going to serve us tofu. We're going to have real food. It's going to be fantastic food. It's going to be rich and fattening if we could get fat, but we can't because we're in our glorious bodies. We've had our makeover, and we'll be able to eat it all and enjoy it all. Now, I don't know if there's going to be literal wine or literal meat. I, I, I'm, I, I tend to think that there won't be meat, but I think Isaiah was just trying to, to give us the idea that it's going to be the finest banquet ever in, in terms that we could understand. I think we're going to be vegetarians, but I think even vegetables are going to taste good in heaven. I mean, I think fruit is going to be like unbelievable. Take a peach off the table and bite into it. And see, everything that we enjoy now, as delicious as it might be, still has the stain of sin as part of it. It's not what it was created to be. But in heaven, all that's going to be gone. We're going to bite in that peach, and our sensory is just going to explode with joy. Wow! I think I'll even pull a Brussels sprout off the table and bite into that thing. And go, oh, how did I ever live without Brussels sprouts? It's going to be the feast of all wedding feasts. And it's going to be a come and go thing. Because that's not all he has for us. It's only part of what he has. There's also going to be the reunion of all reunions at the feast. We're going to get to see 
our loved ones who have departed this life ahead of us. My mom and dad are there. Stella's mom and dad are there. My grandparents are there. Many friends that I have are there. We're going to get to see him. One of the greatest things about a wedding is getting to see people you haven't seen in a long time. And this is going to be the reunion of all reunions. Family members and friends and co-workers. We're also going to have a reunion with all the great biblical characters that we've read about. We'll be able to sit down with Adam and Eve and talk about what original creation was like. We'll be able to sit down with Noah. We'll be able to sit down with Moses and Abraham We'll be able to sit down with David and Solomon and Paul and Peter and James and John. We're going to be able to sit down and talk about what their life experience was really like and what God did in their lives and through them. We're going to get to talk with the angels. Maybe some of those angels are our guardian angels. Maybe we're going to be sitting down there having, having dinner and eating that peach or Brussels sprout with them. And it says, angels say to us, remember that time you were driving down I-75 and you were all about to have that wreck and you just covered your eyes, you knew it was coming, and, and then all of a sudden there was nothing there? That was me. I did that. I remember that time when you were just a little kid and you got in your mom's medicine cabinet and you, you, you were going to swallow that stuff and, and you didn't. That was me. I did that. See? It's going to be the reunion of all reunions. But I think maybe one of the most special things that's going to happen is that we're going to get to meet the people who are in heaven in part because of our sacrifice and our service and our testimony. Remember last week when we were talking about the rich fool and talked about that we need to be rich towards God? And one of the verses said that use our worldly wealth to gain friends for ourselves and eternal dwellings. See, we're going to get to meet those friends at the feast of all feasts, at the reunion of all reunions. There'll be little children who come here to Florida Bible and they're in discovery class or they're in adventure zone or they're in our Awana clubs and you never see them, you'll never know them, you'll never meet them. And in heaven, they're going to sit down at the table and say, I'm here because of you. You gave your tithes and you gave your offerings at Florida Bible Church and they were able to have a children's ministry and I heard about Jesus and I'm here. There'll be people from foreign lands that you've never known, never saw, never imagined. I'll come up and say, I'm here because of you. I'm here because you gave to missions and a missionary came to my village and I trusted Jesus Christ. It's going to be the reunion of all reunions. But then we're going to enjoy unending exploration. Revelation 21.1 Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. See, Jesus is going to first come back and he's going to establish his millennial kingdom. After a thousand year reign, he's going to destroy this earth as it is now. And he's going to build a new earth. See, because as beautiful as this earth is, it's stained with the pollution of generations and centuries of sinfulness. There's some beautiful things on earth. I've got to see some of them. How many of y'all seen the Grand Canyon? I mean, you can't even describe it in words. I've been to the Alps, and I've seen the beauty of the snow-covered Alps, looking over into, into valleys where little villages were, just breathtaking views. I've been out on the ocean. I've been many places, and this world that we live in is beautiful, and there's so many more places I want to go, and so many more places I want to see. But they're all polluted by the stain of sin. 
But one day, Jesus is going to make the earth over again. And it will not be polluted. And it will be so vividly beautiful. So awesome. And we're going to get to go explore it. And we're going to get to go see everything. And we're going to get to go back to the places we like the most and enjoy them over and over and over again. Now that's going to take a little while to do. But that's not all. Because Revelation 21.2 says... I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. To this new earth, the holy city comes down from the heavens and resides here with man. How many heard about the streets of gold? How many heard about the gates of pearls and the walls of jaspers and all that stuff? That's the holy city. That's the new Jerusalem. That's the description of it. And it's going to come down. Now, some mathematicians did the calculations, because the Bible goes on and tells the dimensions of the holy city. And they did those calculations, and here's what they came up with. That were the holy city, the new Jerusalem to come down and rest on the United States, it would extend from the Appalachian Mountains in the east to the California coast. It would extend from the border of Canada in the United States in the north to the border of Mexico in the United States in the south. It's a cube, and because it's a cube, it will be 600,000 stories tall. It will easily facilitate 11 billion people on the first floor. But we know we're not going to have some dinky apartment. Because the Bible says Jesus is preparing a mansion for us. And sadly, we also know that Jesus, when he was here, declared that broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many will travel it. And narrow is the gate that leads to eternal life. And very few find it. We found it. And we'll get to explore it. And we'll get to come back to it over and over and over again. And I believe also that we're going to have the ability in our new bodies to not only explore here, but I think, and this is my opinion, this is tokarology, I think God's going to allow us to go through the entire universe and see it all. Finally, we're going to have super satisfying service. The Bible says in Revelation 22.3, No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. And I said, oh, wait a minute, I, I thought what's the sustained happiness stuff? We're going back to work? Yeah, we are. But the key is in the first part of that verse. It says, no longer will there be any curse. See, the reason work is a chore for us now, the reason work is labor now, the reason that work saps us emotionally and physically and spiritually is because of the curse. God said to Adam after he sinned in the garden, by the sweat of your brow you'll tend the fields. It wasn't that way in the beginning. And it won't be that way here. See, yes, we'll serve the God. But, but it will be one of the greatest experiences of joy and satisfaction we will ever have. I mean, when you think about everything that God is preparing for us, and this isn't everything, this is only a snapshot, the things that He's revealed to us so far. 
I mean, when we have this sustained happiness and we get this eternal makeover, when we see God for who He is and and we get to experience this exuberant worship and and we get to be at the wedding feast and come and go and we get the reunion and we get to explore everything, the natural response of us is going to be, God, what can I do for you? What more can I do? Where can I serve you? How can I help you? What can I do to enhance your eternal kingdom? Oh, we're going to serve Him and we're going to serve Him with love and with passion. Now, this is the part of this whole banquet itinerary that is dependent on how we're living right now. Remember, Jesus said in the parable of the talents, He said, You have been found faithful with a few things. I'm going to give you many things. You've been found faithful doing a few things. I'm going to give you increased responsibilities. We're invited to the wedding of all weddings. Now, what if you were to receive one of these in the mail? Some of you may not be able to see it, but it's a royal invitation to the invitation of, in this case, Prince William and Catherine Middleton. Just got married. But what if it was Harry now? And Harry's getting married, and all of a sudden you get an invitation to the royal wedding. It's six months from now. Now, not only do you get an invitation to the royal wedding, and and you're going to sit with the royal family at the wedding, but you find out that you're going to get there on Air Force One. You get to fly over with the president and the first lady on Air Force One. Now, I I don't know, it's just a hunch. I don't think you're going to wait for the week before the event to get ready. I I just don't think so. Guys, if you're married, just mark it down. Your credit card's going to be maxed out. (laughs) Just plan on it. Because you've got to get close. And there's got to be pedicures and manicures and haircuts and there's got to be all this kind of stuff and you're going to want to know every protocol issue that's going to be involved. Do I get on the plane first? Does the president get on the plane first? Where do I sit? How do I dress? When I get to the royal wedding, what am I supposed to wear? How am I, when am I supposed to rise? Where am I supposed to sit? How am I supposed to go to the ball? How am I supposed to treat the king? Well, ladies, you're going to be practicing your curtsy and guys are going to be practicing your bows and all that, you know, all this stuff. You're not going to wait till the last minute. In fact, you're probably going to going to frame that thing and carry it around your neck on on a necklace. I'm going to the wedding. These parables that Jesus left us with, they comprise the kingdom protocol guidebook. He has given you, he has given me everything we need to know to be ready for the party of parties, for the banquet of banquets, for the return of the king. Everything we need. So that there, there is nothing we need to be embarrassed about, nothing that we need to be unprepared for. And now is when we're preparing. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9-10 through 10 says, So we make it our goal to please him whether we are home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear 
before the judgment seat of Christ. That each one may receive what is due him for the things done well in the body, whether good or bad. And the good or bad could also be translated whether productive or unproductive, whether sincere or insincere, whether effective or ineffective. Listen, God has an experience coming for us that we can't begin to imagine. And there's no reason for every one of us not to be ready. These parables have told us who God really is. God is generous. He's not going to treat us like our sins deserve. Aren't you glad for that? He's going to reward us so much more than, than what we deserve, but, but He's not going to reward us for, any, for just anything. Salvation is free. Discipleship is costly. This is our opportunity. The King is coming. The King is coming. I just heard the trumpet sounding, and time shall be no more. It's an old song. Are you ready? Let's bow our heads. Are you ready? Are you ready to meet the King? Are you ready to enjoy what He's got prepared for you? The one thing that every person needs to get an invitation to the banquet is saving faith in Jesus Christ. There's no way and there's no provision given by God by which we can work our way to heaven. By having a moral character that is exemplary, business integrity that's impeccable, or even benevolence that is exemplary. None of that will earn us entrance into heaven. The only way to get into heaven is through faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done for us on the cross. No other way. Jesus himself declared it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John fourteen six. How about you? Are you still hoping to live a good enough life to get to heaven? It's not going to work because it's not God's standard. God's standard is grace. God's standard is mercy. God wants to give you eternal life. I wonder if you're here this morning. Please, everyone, bow your head and don't look around. I don't want to embarrass anyone. I wonder if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. And right now, the Spirit of God is speaking to your conscience. And you know you need this forgiveness and you know you need to trust God. And right now God's saying, this is why I brought you here today. I brought you here so that you can believe on the name of Jesus Christ and be adopted into my family. For right now God's speaking that way to you. I won't embarrass you in any way. Just so I know whether the need is here or not. Would you raise your hand and say, Pastor Pete, you're talking to me right now. I've never trusted Jesus Christ. I've never trusted him. All right, then I turn 
our final reflections to the body of Christ, to those who have trusted him. Listen, we live in a world that is constantly trying to distract us, to have us look away from what really is important, that is trying to get us to chase things that are temporary, to believe in things that really are false. Christ has given us these parables that we might know truth and that we might be fully prepared for the return of Christ and for everything that God wants to bless us with. Will you join me anew this day in going all in for God? Open up all those compartment doors in your life to His presence. God, all my time, Whatever I'm doing, I want to glorify you with. God, the talents that you gave me when you knit me together in my mother's womb, I don't want to use them just for myself or or even just for others. I want to use them for you. God, the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gave us after we trusted Christ, God, we want to hone them. and We want to, to use them powerfully to make a difference for your kingdom. God, our financial resources, we want to give them to you so that people can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, help us to take advantage of the opportunity you've given us through these parables to be ready. Because Jesus, you said in the book of Revelations, I'm coming very soon and I'm bringing my reward with me. Make us ready. Make us willing. Change our hearts. Change our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God's got a lot of special things for you. He wants to bless you like you've never imagined. And what we've talked about today is just a snapshot. Now, in a couple weeks, two weeks from today, I'm going to start a new series. It's called Collide. When culture and family collide... You know, there's a cultural war going on all around us, and the battlefield is you and your family. We need to to know what it's about, and we need to understand how it's impacting us, and we need to understand how we can defend ourselves. And so I'm going to challenge you to come to this series. It's going to begin the first weekend in October. Back at the Welcome Center and the Connection Station, we have these little invitation cards. I'm going to encourage you to go back and, and get a few and, and use them to, to hand to friends and family members and coworkers and say, hey, at our church, we have this really great series going to be starting the first weekend in October. It's called Collide, When Culture and Family Collide. And it's got some important news for every family whether it's a married couple or a single parent or, or a, whatever the family unit. And I'm going to encourage you to invite people to come to that. Let's feel, fill these empty seats with, with people who have never heard about Jesus. Let's get out there so they can take advantage of everything that we've learned about today. Let's do it together. Church, let's make a difference for the kingdom of God. Amen?